This podcast is brought to you by the Eisner Award-winning Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska, and by listeners like you. Go to TwoHeadedNerd.com and click Donate Now to become a supporter. Hey, this is Nick Marino, writer of Holy f***, and you're listening to Two-Headed Nerd with Joe and Matt. Sort of, sort of break, it, break it down like this. Broadcasting from the Ziggurat at Omaha, deep below the metro area, it is my pleasure to welcome you to a very lonely Ziggurat. I find myself alone, while Joe Patrick is somewhere in Bellevue, because he didn't have the guts to record the naked episode in person. What a baby. It's sad, but I'm still going to welcome you to episode 194 of THN, where we're talking comics and nerd news for the week of Wednesday, January 21st. My name is Matt Baum. You can find me on the Twitter under the handle at Matt Baumstein. And when I'm not deflating my balls to make this podcast perform better than other comic podcasts, I'm writing the Comic Speculator blog for WorthPoint.com. You guys had to see that joke coming, right? Casey told me your balls were always deflated. It's true. <laughs> and I'm Joe Patrick. That's at JoePatrick116 on the Twitter. And when I'm not handicapping the Royal Rumble and sharing my predictions to betters for the low price of 1995. I'm the manager of Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska. We're getting all technical here, folks. Joe Patrick is recording in his house. I'm recording in my house. I believe they call this a reach around in the business. In this week's episode, you'll hear our reviews of Evar, Time Walker, and Powers, number one. After that, we'll review 10 more of this week's new comics. Faster than Battle World can declare all-out war on War World during the ludicrous speed round. And then we'll visit the THN Sanctum Sanctorum, where... Our friend, the recently dead Saudi King, is helping us sneak into comic book Valhalla and discuss a couple of next week's comics. He just died. That's why we need his help. And finally, Joey and I prove we can read big boy stories, too, when we review Black Sad Amarillo for our Take a Look, It's in a Book segment. But before we agree to kick the cheating Patriots out of the Super Bowl, let's take a moment to place our bets on Daniel Bryan as our favorite to win this week's Royal Rumble, and then we can talk about this week's big news! We got big news! This week, Marvel Comics announced the end of the Marvel Universe as we know it. In a press event on Tuesday, Marvel confirmed what has been the most widely assumed rumor in recent memory. The Ultimate and 616 universes will merge into a new Earth in the pages of the upcoming Secret Wars event. As I'm sure you'll recall, Secret Wars is the eight-issue series spilling from the brain of current Avengers and New Avengers writer Jonathan Hickman, concluding years' worth of stories with one final incursion. Further, Marvel has revealed that when Secret Wars opens the Marvel Universe will already have been destroyed and replaced with the patchwork battle world, made up of elements called from popular storylines that continue to exist as alternate realities. Confused? Don't worry. (laughs) Because what Marvel did not reveal is if this event will lead to a complete reboot of their history, something they've actively avoided in the past. In fact, Marvel has been as vague as possible, saying things like, quote, The Marvel Universe will be Battle World, and every single piece of those worlds will be building blocks for the universe, end quote. What does that mean? To me, this implies (laughs) that some of the what-if elements present in Secret Wars may be present in the new Marvel Universe. And just to freak fans out as much as possible, quote, If we wanted to resurrect Gwen Stacy, wink wink, this would be the place to do it, end quote. Uh... 
For the duration of Secret Wars, Marvel's titles will carry one of three, I don't know, I guess they're sub-brands, which will indicate how each story relates to the event. Last Days, which will feature various characters learning and dealing with the fated death of the universe. Battleworld, which will focus on the interworking and interaction of all the domains now fused together throughout this one and only remaining planet. The secret wars are being waged as the last remaining fragments of dead universes fight for survival. Who rules these domains? Who comes out on top? Who lives? Who dies? Who farted? <laughs> War zones, which will tell you add the who farted part. Was that you? <laughs> no, I think uh, I think Tom Brevoort said that. War oh, zones, nice. which will tell stories of the individual dominions of Battleworld. What happens within their borders? What heroes guard their skies? What villains conspire within? How does over 75 years of Marvel's epic history play out now that Battleworld is all there is? Axel Alonso described War Zones saying, quote, If you want a glimpse of what the future holds, you'll find it in the War Zones titles. Our creators let their imaginations run wild as they lay down the foundations for the future. End quote. Tom Brevoort stated that while you'll still see most creators working with their characters during the event, it may not be in books you're used to. In, what? In fact, you can expect to see some familiar Marvel titles cease publication altogether when Secret Wars starts in May. Quote, Every creative team has known this was coming. We've had a line of demarcation in the sand. Get your most immediate business done by this point because we're going into Secret Wars and it's going to have an impact on everything. Most of those creators are working on books during Secret Wars. They may not exactly be the same book. There may not be, for example, a Guardians of the Galaxy book, but there's probably going to be something that involves some bit of that business or stuff that may be done in Guardians in the future. There's going to be a Guardians of the Galaxy book. Come on. Everything is going to kind of change and shift as we go. We're not entirely ready to map it all out for you. End quote. Jesus. I, I think that he was just using Guardians as an example. Yeah, of course. This is how they put the bullet in the head of the Fantastic Four for now. Maybe. Finally, offering the most clear cut bit of information. Marvel announced that their 2015 free comic book day offerings will be a Secret Wars Zero issue that will get readers up to speed for the event and a glimpse of the future Marvel U in an all new, all different Avengers special. Secret Wars 1 and 2 will follow that same month. Matt Bomb, that's all I got. Let's good. God. Let's start unpacking our feelings. You and I are always up. For a big, crazy Marvel event. Totally. It's always fun. Totally. Right? The old man in me is saying, this is too big. This is too crazy. I'm scared and I don't like it. <laughs> you know, like if you want to bring Miles Morales into the Marvel U, just do it in the Spider-Verse story, you know, like, and then Miles left and the ultimate U went away, you know, or whatever, you know, <laughs> right. <laughs> Who cares? Nobody's reading ultimate books anymore. Ooh. You know, <laughs> I, I will agree that like the scope of what they're talking about is very intimidating to me. And I've been reading Marvel comics for 35 years. My God, it's just bizarre. So Marvel had this big press event. They made the announcement of the merging of the universes and the logistics of the crossover. But they didn't say anything else on top of that. In fact, they actively avoided saying anything concrete. 
well, this might happen, or you might see examples of this, but we're not ready to say anything. Like, they held a press event to tell people they weren't ready to tell people. Which is, in this day and age of the internet and people losing their mind on it, is perfect. Like, if you think about it, just that action is perfect. What a nightmarish way to just flip everyone the out you know well i mean it's been the only conversation i've had in the comic book store for the last seven days so i I, they've done a great job at the very least getting people talking are you okay if they reboot the universe i don't think that's what's coming and and they said squarely they're not rebooting universe well they've said that in the past but they also used to say that they were never going to cross over the ultimate and marvel universes and they did that yeah, I suppose that's true. Didn't Brevoort say, though, we're not rebooting. It's not what's happening. We're not doing it. Marvel, until pretty recently, has used the fact that they have never rebooted as kind of a point of pride. Right. And so. Well, I don't think they're going to do that now. I don't see that coming. While all signs certainly kind of point to it, I really don't. I don't think they will. If for no other reason, then it went over so well for D.C., yeah. No, I mean, they have a perfect example of the worst way to do it and what happens when you do. And I don't think there's any way they follow suit. I think if Marvel does this, they are going to be really careful with it. And honestly, I believe that the Spider-Verse event proved that they can do something this big and complex and keep it together as long as everyone's on board. If you look at Spider-Man as a microcosm of the Marvel U, I think Spider-Verse is just as big as this. You know what I mean? In the terms of its impact on that corner of the Marvel Universe. Yes. And in the sense that it is this gigantic, huge scope story and nothing's ever going to be the same for Spider-Man again. But he will still be the Spider-Man we know, just living in a different set of rules or whatever. And if they can pull it off like that, if they can do this on a Marvel U scale and clean up a bunch of problems, getting rid of the Ultimate Universe and merging the best parts of it with the regular Marvel U. If they can do that, I'm completely on board. And right. what are comic books without a shakeup now and again? You know, right. they've just got to do it the right way. And I think this is the ultimate experiment. Right. Like best case scenario for me is that these earths truly merge in the sense that like, it's not like the ultimate earth gets destroyed. And then a bunch of refugees come to live there on the main on the main earth it's like right they truly do merge and so miles and his family and his friends and his school are all still there they're just right. now they're just now on a new earth I, with stephen king stories you know right <laughs> so to sum it up marvel made some announcements kind of and i kind of feel like i have a grasp on what secret wars is going to be and and we're kind of excited and <laughs> I'm kind of excited and kind of terrified. And that is it for your kind of sort of Marvel news for this week. After seven years of super science adventures, Brian Clevenger and Scott Wegner have decided to take their all ages hit series Atomic Robo from print to digital. Effective this past Wednesday, Atomic Robo is now a webcomic hosted at atomic-robo.com. The series will update three times a week and will eventually be available online in its entirety. The complete for all the complete first volume atomic robo and the fighting scientists of Tesla Dine became available on January 21st 
Once the entire Robo Archive is complete sometime this summer, Clevenger and Wegner will debut the 10th volume in the series, Atomic Robo and the Ring of Fire. The creative team stated that the existing print volumes will remain available and the new material will be collected in print eventually. Plus, you'll still be able to purchase new issues through Comixology if you're into that. Addressing fans in a blog post on the site, Scott Wegner said, quote, going 100% digital is something we planned for a couple of years. Red 5 Comics and the direct market were very good to us. I mean, an indie book like ours that came out of nowhere by a couple of nobodies doesn't survive in this industry for seven years and nine volumes without retailers and publishers doing everything they can for it. We figured, skip the middlemen. Let's take this comic straight to you guys. That's what the change is all about. So thank you, Direct Market. Thank you, publishers. Here is our middle fingers. Now, <laughs> and, and we're out of here. <laughs> That's what this change is all about. Getting the world's greatest science adventure magazine in front of as many people as possible with as few barriers as possible. End quote. Joe, do you think this is a good move for Atomic Robo? And can a primarily print-based series survive a transition like this? You know, I was initially kind of bummed when I saw the news, not because I thought it was bad for those guys, but because Atomic Robo in print is where I kind of came to Atomic Robo. And I liked getting the issues and, and the volumes as they came out. This, though, doesn't seem like it can be anything but good for them. They've already built an yeah. audience. I agree. They've already built an audience. They're going to have no overhead other than hosting fees and no worries about distribution or dealing with diamond or shipping. Best case scenario, their current audience comes with them and they're instantly opened up to an infinitely larger audience. Yeah. No, I, I totally agree. I don't see any downside to this. Mm -hmm. I think it's an awesome idea, and I think making it all available is totally rad. Totally. Everybody should be reading Atomic Robo anyway. Absolutely It's just agree. a wonderful series. You know, I, the only thing that really matters to me, selfishly speaking, is that, you know, whenever volume 10 gets finished, I can have a print volume to put on my bookshelf next to one through nine. And sure. they're doing that. And so if, if this is good for those guys, if it lets them keep producing this stuff on a more consistent basis without having to worry about number of copies that retailer X ordered, then I'm all for it. Whatever it takes for these guys to succeed. It's kind of an interesting thing. You don't really see too many print comics becoming web comics. You usually yeah. see web comics becoming print comics. Which is kind of silly if you think about it, you know, I, I mean, but I get it. People buy them and that's why it happens. Now, you want to read Brian Clevenger doing a print comic? His Phantom comes out next week from Dynamite. So hey. there you go. Everybody's hey. happy. Everyone wins. After a long absence, classic Disney characters will be making their return to comics courtesy of IDW. I don't get it. An Uncle Scrooge <laughs> monthly series will launch in April Kicking off a line-wide revival with titles featuring Mickey Mouse, Donald Duck, and the long-running Walt Disney's comics and stories following in the months to come. IDW does great with their licensed books, especially kids' properties. But doesn't Disney already own a comic book company? This is what's throwing me. And I mean, they spent billions of dollars to buy Marvel. <laughs> you know? A second question, why have these comics been off the racks for so long? No idea. Mar the, Marvel, bought, Marvel bought Disney bought Marvel like 27 years ago. I know my only thought process on this is that Disney looks at the sales of their comics and goes, ah, it's just not worth it for us to do it. 
And if someone's willing to pay for it to make it worth our time, fine, let them do it. You know, like that's the only thought process I can come up with. Maybe it's like, oh, so you think IDW is paying? Oh, they're absolutely. They're These paying are licensed Disney. characters. Yeah. Yeah. These are licensed characters. They're absolutely paying Disney for it. So not only does Disney not have to pay Marvel and Marvel employees to produce the books. Yeah. They, they just can, sit back and make yeah. a pittance and they looked at it and went, if we did it ourselves and put them out, we'd only make X. Who cares? We're in the business of making billions of dollars, you know? So let them. Yeah. It's just so weird because you know what? Like the same thing happened. The, the second that Disney bought Marvel, that wonderful Muppets comic uh, by Roger language language just disappeared. Yeah. And I, I don't know if they were trying to figure it out, like if they're going to make money on this or they're not going to make money on it for, for now, let's bring it all in house or whatever. It, it, it's odd. I agree. I, but I also think you're not going to sell comics like uncle Scrooge, you know, and maybe even Mickey mouse and Donald duck to kids anymore. You're going to sell them to people that remember this stuff and love the classic versions of it. But like kids are into, you know, uh, Skylanders and video games and they don't no, care about Uncle Scrooge. No, that's uh, as somebody that has to deal with parents coming in looking for stuff. I, I disagree. Like, no, I get that parents will buy it for their kids. There's I'm definitely kids be like, yeah, give me more Uncle Scrooge. <laughs> I got to see what Huey, Dewey, and Louie are getting into next month. Well, you know? I, I agree with you if we're talking about older kids, but little little kids they still want di- that Disney stuff. And like stupid kids, you mean? Yeah, yeah, real dummies. <laughs> I just, it's so strange, you know, and I agree that it's got to be all about money. Yeah. But it's sort of like, you know, like what what happened with Big Hero 6, where like Marvel, or D, uh, Disney took this Marvel property. Yeah, and de-Marvelized it. And, and almost I don't completely, yeah, like took Marvel out of the equation. Not that there weren't like Easter eggs and stuff, and I'm pretty sure well, Marvel's logo popped up on it. But like, but why not do Marvel Kids or Marvel Animation? Yeah, why wasn't it? Why you know? wasn't get it? Marvel Studios branded in any way? Why wasn't there a comic book tie-in? Yeah, you know, it, I don't get it. They just like took it and treated it as like a completely separate thing, and I don't understand. But I don't get it either. So here's what would be double weird: is if now that this deal is in place with IDW, we start to see Big Hero comics from IDW. I don't think that's going to happen. But wouldn't that be bizarre? <laughs> I, I guess it would follow suit. I don't know. It's still weird, but it would make sense. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> hey, corporations are weird, just like people. Am I right? That's why they can vote for presidents. That's right. That's the big news for this week. If you'd like to discuss these stories or everything you think we missed, hit us up on the THN forums where Joe Patrick and I are working on our Mickey Mouse Big Hero 6 crossover right now, and it does not end well for the little talking rat. Every Sunday, my favorite pantsless duck, Joe Patrick, posts the question of the week in the THN forums. Joey, put some pants on for crying out loud and tell the listeners what we're asking them this week hey i'm at home i can keep the pants off if i choose true this is the naked show we're both nude (laughs) totally nude with this talk of licensed properties we want to know what is your favorite licensed property in comics 
It could be a historical favorite, like something from back in the day, or it can be a current title that you think a publisher is really doing justice. If Angel and Faith is your favorite licensed property, I want to know about it. Absolutely. Now, here's the thing. I'm taking Star Wars off the board at Marvel because we've only seen one issue. So that can't be the best. Pick something else. It can be Star Wars, though, if it's Dark Horse. Absolutely. Okay, then. You have until 5 p.m. this coming Friday, January 30th, to get us your answer. You can call and leave a message using Skype under the handle 2 Nerd, all one word, or at the Ziggurat hotline 402-819-4894. Or you can send an MP3 to 2 Nerd at gmail.com. Keep it concise, three minutes or less. Pick one favorite. If you need more time than that, you want to list your top 10 favorites, go to the THN web forums. That's what they're for. The end. Talk about professional. It's review time on THN where Matt and I take our opinions and smash them together just like an incursion. Incurge our opinions, I believe. (laughs) (laughs) Where Matt and I encourage our opinions on each other. (laughs) Matt Bomb, which comic are you sacrificing this week? This week, I am crushing you with Ivar, Time Walker, number one from Valiant, written by Fred Van Lenty, with art by Clayton Henry, 32 pages long, and it's $3.99. Draw on the line at $3.99, Valiant Comics. Here's your solicit. Prehistoric empires, dystopian futures, and everywhere in between. From the New York Times bestselling team of Fred Van Lenty and Clayton Henry comes a century-spanning race against the clock, straight out of the pages of... I'm John Armstrong! The past, present, and future of our universe are all about to meet an untimely end. And only one mysterious Ivar Anipata, he's hyphenated, so he has both his mother and father's last name, I guess, can prevent <laughs> all three from collapsing in on themselves, unstuck in time and pursued by enemies simultaneously across every moment of his time-lost life. Can the man called Time Walker save everything that ever was, is, and will be? Question mark. Get ready for the clock-stopping odyssey into the distant past and far future as the most unlikely valiant hero of all leaps into his first history-ripping adventure. There were so many hyphenated words in there. That was crazy. Someone at Valiant, probably Fred Van Lenty, has been watching too much Doctor Who and brought that same spirit to this new Time Walker revival. They say that imitation is the purest form of flattery, and once again, it proves true. Here, Van Lenty gives us a head-spinning tale that's equal parts Doctor Who and Portal, the video game. Like Doctor Who, get ready to get sick of that simile, Ivar is traveling with a female companion, Dr. Neela Sethi, who was just about to discover time travel before she was rudely interrupted by Ivar Anipata, the Time Walker. From there, the pair are on the run from the Prometheans, an artificial suicide life form from the fifth dimension, whatever the f*** that means. From there, the two find themselves in the Battle of Trafalgar aboard Lord Horatio Nelson's ship just in time to help make the decision that wins the day and escape through another time portal. Van Linty's script is even more fast-paced than what I'm reading here. It's funny, it's historical, and at times it's just plain nuts. But Clayton Henry not only keeps up, but makes this book make sense and is even more fun to read. I can't imagine what penciling this script was like, just starting with nothing. 
there's what there's a wonderful twist at the end that is guaranteed to bring me back for more here. But I am left marveling at how much fun Van Lenti made a time travel story that could have easily gotten bogged down in any of the periods the main characters stopped in. By the way, the next issue is titled Let's Not Kill Hitler. So I could not be more into that. <laughs> it sounds wild. <laughs> not in the sense that I think Hitler was right or anything. Dear God, no. They don't. But gigantic by it. Joe Patrick, what did you think? Way to walk it back. Way to dial it back. <laughs> well, I just realized what that sentence sounded like. Like, Heil Hitler, you take it away, Joe. <laughs> now, I loved it. Uh, I'm way behind on all my Valiant reading. This didn't, that didn't matter. Everything you need to know is given to you by Fred Van Lenty in the opening pages. It's super fun. I love Clayton Henry. I love Clayton Henry. He's so good. He's I so, love his and art. And he's not not like revolutionary and he's not doing anything like strange or abstract. He's just solid, solid, solid in every panel. Totally agree. You know, he reminds me of a young Jimmy Chung. I totally love his style. I'm a big fan. I thought this was a great time. It's a huge bite for me as well. It's nice that Valiant is able to put out a new number one that obviously carries over from stuff they've already done but it's not so bogged down in it that as a new reader, you can't get caught up and and get into it. Yeah. And I know we say it all the time, but man, Valiant Comics knows what they are doing. And if you're not reading something there, you, there is something missing from your stack every month. Valiant is so good. That is the truth. Go pick some of their stuff up. You will love it. Joe Patrick incurs your opinions of powers number one on me, please. <laughs> How do you spell incurs? Try with an I. Okay. <laughs> I am reviewing powers number one from Marvel slash icon written by Brian Michael Bendis. You might know him as BM Bendis with art by Michael Avon Oming. Here's your solicit. Just in time for the debut of the long awaited powers TV show comes this brand new number one. A perfect jumping on point for fans new and old. The Eisner Award winning Powers tells the story of homicide detectives Christian Walker and Dina Pilgrim, who are assigned cases specifically involving powers. If a superhero falls dead from the sky or a supervillain is found dead in the gutter, it's up to Walker and Pilgrim to solve the case. But having barely survived the most harrowing case of their careers and discovering government corruption of the highest level, Walker and Pilgrim are now faced with the most difficult decision they've ever had to make. Plus, the discovery of a power no one has ever seen before. Blah, 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 double-sized issue, behind-the-scenes TV stuff. You get it. Okay, so before we get into it, only one of the things mentioned in that solicit actually happens here. Do you agree with that statement? Um, well... I mean, I guess the stuff they're referring to happened in the previous volume. All right. Okay. The corruption and stuff. Okay. I would just, if I read that and then I picked up this comic, I'd go, huh? But anyway. It's okay. Luckily, most fans don't need to worry about the solicitation text before they pick up a new comic. It's true. It's true. I've been a fan of Powers ever since the series launched in 2000. But after a number of relaunches, rebrandings, and sporadic scheduling, I found myself losing track of the series... I probably haven't picked up an issue in two years or so. Like the solicit said, though, this latest relaunch was hyped as a jumping on point for new readers. And I have to say, I thought it was pretty successful. 
Some time has passed since the last volume. Detective Dina Pilgrim is now a famous author, having published a book about her experiences. New powers are crawling out of the woodwork. The powers division is working overtime, and Christian Walker is nowhere to be found. When Dina is assigned to a high-profile homicide case by the police chief himself, the endless trauma that she's experienced over the years finally starts to take its toll. I found myself able to slip right back into this world with very little effort and confusion. Yes, a lot has happened that I missed, but Bendis is able to present the things that matter and gloss over the things that don't, and the script isn't bogged down with endless exposition. Bendis obviously has the characters' voices down pat, and his rapid-fire banter is as enjoyable as ever. The final page caught me off guard, and I'm genuinely intrigued to find out what happened to that character. The art by Oming, while still very stylized and loose, seems more finished than usual somehow. I don't mean that as a negative, I'm a fan, but his line work seems cleaner here. Nick Filardi provides colors that are lush and vibrant, and so overall I thought the series took a huge leap up artistically. As far as being a jumping on point goes, I think it works. The series is different enough from what came before that this will seem just as fresh to old readers as it will to new ones. Everything you need to know is provided and Bendis and Oming are able to make the importance of people and events clear without spending pages and pages spelling it out. If you like police procedurals, good crime comics, or superhero stories with a dark twist, whether you're a lapsed reader and a longtime fan or a complete newbie, Powers number one is worth checking out. I'm giving it a buy it. I used to love Powers. I was a huge fan of it. And it was by no fault of the series that I fell off. It's the same thing you said. It was rebranded and renumbered, and I just kind of lost track of it. So I was kind of excited to jump back in here. I was a little shocked when, without giving anything away, the status quo had changed quite a bit in the book. Starting with page one, it becomes obvious. Like Things are a little different here. That was not a problem with this story, but I did feel, maybe it's me and maybe I'm just a little jaded or whatever, but I did feel that the excitement that I used to have with the Powers book just wasn't there. Like maybe it lost its luster a little bit or something. This was fine. It was well-written. It was Brian Michael Bendis doing what Brian Michael Bendis does. I just didn't enjoy it as much as I used to. Avon Oming is... Still just as good as he's ever been. I love his art. I love looking at him drawing gore. He's, there's something about his cartoony style that like doesn't work at all with the gore, but in the sense that it's so bizarre, it makes it even gorier. You know? <laughs> I, I love it. <laughs> yeah, no, I, that makes sense. Right? But for some reason, this just didn't grab me the way Powers used to. I can only give this a skim it. I thought it was a good entry point. For new readers and stuff like that, but it just didn't recapture the magic for me. And see, I'm wondering if maybe part of that is just that we don't we don't know where they've been. And we're still trying to play catch up. And that could be it, but I still there was just something that felt slightly off to me about the and the dialogue and just the way that. He used to do it. It just, it seemed like powers used to be almost like the stream of consciousness. Like you were watching two cops with a, and someone was following him with a digital handy cam. And this felt maybe the fact that it was better executed took away from it a little bit. I don't know, but it just didn't feel as rough and raw as it used to. And I liked it. I'll read a little more, but it, I, 
I wasn't as excited as I hoped to be. Sure. I, I mean, I get it. Um, maybe that's by design, you know, maybe it's maybe it's just a little bit more tightly scripted and plotted and drawn. Yeah, that could be. Maybe Ben just decided it's time to take this to a larger audience. We're getting a TV show, you know, and, and that's fine. And maybe by issue six, I'm right back into it. But for now, skip it. Fair. So that is a buy it and a skim it for Powers number one and a double buy it for Ivar Timewalker number one. As always, we want to know what you relaunched cops and Doctor Who wannabes thought of these comics. So after you're done time traveling to grab a PS4 at a reasonable price, hit us up with your opinions over at the THN forums, which you can find by clicking the forum button at tuitednerd.com. There's a fight brewing, and it's on a planetary scale. Marvel's Battleworld is on a collision course with DC's War World, and just like when the WWF was forced to bring in a ref that could handle the battle of this scale, when they asked Mr. T to officiate the 1994 Battle of Ric Flair and Hulk Hogan, Mogo, the living planet, has been called in to keep this contest fair. So, join Joe and I ringside as we tease up our hair Don King style and these two heavenly bodies duke it out in the cosmic ring. Oh, but we review 10 more of this week's new comics during the Ludicrous Speed Round. Ludicrous Speed, go! Burning Fields, number one from Boom. Hoax Hunters and Dawn of the Planet of the Apes writer Michael Morrissey, right? Sure. And curse writer Tim Daniel give us a story of an ex-military investigator pulled back to Kirkuk, Iraq to investigate a series of brutal murders on the oil field along with the help of an Iraqi detective. Curse penciler Colin Lorimer's dark, hard-edged art along with heavily saturated colors by Joanna LaFuente bring a moody cinematic feel to this very well-written and original murder mystery, giving it a buy it. Galaxy Quest, the journey continues. Number one from IDW, Aaron Myers didn't love it. No, he sure didn't. <laughs> Peter, Quincy, Taggart, and his crew are back in action as an alien threat comes to Earth. I love this movie and was excited to see it come back in comic form. The journey continues didn't dis- disappoint story-wise, but the art by Nacho Aranz just wasn't there for me. He's got I agree. A, he's got a real problem distinguishing between male characters. It shows promise, though. But, like, there are scenes when I can't tell if it's Alan Rickman or Tim Allen. Yeah, I agree. They should just reveal that he's in face makeup all the time now. That Alan Rickman is dressed as the doctor all the time. Or put their names on their shirts. You know, (laughs) something like that. That There you go. (laughs) Overall, I liked it. I'm glad to have these characters back. And I'm hoping that this series delivers a solid sequel to the original. It's a strong skimmit. They could also give them different weapons, like the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Oh. We'd know. Oh, yeah. Uh, the captain's the one with the nunchucks. Got it. Colored armbands. <laughs> sure. Twilight Zone, Shadow and Substance, number one from Dynamite. William Gaunt is on a plane, the town where he grew up. Little does he know that not only is it a voyage through space, but a voyage back in time to the Twilight Zone. There was bad unfinished looking art here paired with bland storytelling and even some word balloons with missing words. This felt uninspired and I gotta say lazy. I have to wonder if anyone enjoyed this fairly predictable story and why this needs to be a separate Twilight Zone miniseries. I don't quite understand. I'm giving it a leave it. 
G.I. Joe, Snake Eyes, Agent of Cobra, number one from IDW. I keep trying to dive back into IDW's G.I. Joe universe and they don't make it easy. It looks like this series continues with the story Mike Costa began all the way back in G.I. Joe Cobra Volume 1. And he doesn't really hold your hand here. If you missed out on the events of those books, too bad. Still, it's really well written and super compelling. I loved the art and it really made me want to track down the stories that I missed. Maybe that's them working, man. Maybe they're trying to sell back issues. Hey, sure. It's a very strong skimmit. Millennium number one from IDW. My dad and I used to watch Millennium like we were cult members, and writer Joe Harris captures the magic of Chris Carter's short-lived series perfectly with a guest appearance by X-Files' Fox Mulder. Absolutely pitch-perfect art from Colin Larimer here, too. I can't say this is a good jumping-on point for anyone that doesn't know these characters, but if there's a hole in your heart where Carter's brand of creepy fiction used to live, you need this comic. Buy it. You know what? As somebody that never watched Millennium, I can say that I loved it and didn't have any problems following it. That's great. See, I couldn't disconnect myself because I love the show so much, so I really wasn't sure. Fantastic Four, number 642 from Marvel. I'm sorry it took so long for me to figure this out, but this run of Fantastic Four is amazing. The Quiet Man makes his Ozymandias-esque move as the Avengers move in to shut down the Renegade FF. So many great character moments, wonderful art, and a final page cliffhanger that made teenage Joe Patrick squeal like a little girl. Huge. Yeah. Buy it. You know, I'm trying to catch up on this, and it's just not hooking me yet. I'm, I'm three issues in. I'll say that. Oh, yeah. No, keep going. Okay. Holy fuck. Number one from Action Lab, Danger Zone. Where to start? This is a blasphemous fun romp from writer Nick Marino and artist Daniel Aruda Massa, inspired by the original novel, The Bible, as written by God. <laughs> Here, we meet a badass sex and drug addicted Jesus who doesn't know he's responsible for saving the earth. And, just so happens, the devil might be his best friend. This was fun and ridiculous, and it gets a buy-in from me. <laughs> Henchman, colon, I henchbot, number one, from Robot Paper. Really happy to have more henchman stories from Jameson Raymond and Ryan Howe. Recently unemployed single dad Gary is too out of shape, too old, and too qualified to find a new job. What else is left but to become a henchman for a supervillain? Thanks, Obama. Hilarious, heartfelt, great art by Ryan Howe. Buy it. Gru, friends and foes, number one from Dark Horse. Sergio Aragones returns for another tale of Gru the Barbarian, but this time the unstoppable moron is trying to figure out who is his friend and who are his foes. And when you're as dumb as Gru, it's not that easy. As usual, each panel is packed with hilarious detail, and Aragones is brilliant as ever. If you've never read Gru, this is as good a place as any to meet him. Go buy this. Patrick D. Pigeon's Creeple People, number one, from IDW. I'll say this for IDW and creators Patrick Pigeon, Matt Anderson, and Tim Laddie. It takes real guts to put out a comic about an obscure part of a more obscure toy line from the 1960s. <laughs> really? <laughs> it, the title was so specific that I had to Google it to see if it was licensed from something, and it is. 
Sadly, there's nothing in this comic to latch onto. The jokes aren't funny. It moves at a snail's pace. And it feels like it wants to be all ages, but I can't imagine it holding a kid's attention. The art is odd, but not unappealing. But I gotta give this a leave it. It was just tough to get through. Smooch! That is your ludicrous speed round. And smooch! It's a sound of Jesus kissing the devil as seen in this week's issue. <laughs> Of holy f- <laughs> This week in the THN Sanctum Sanctorum, Matt and I are joined by Dead Man and our personal spiritual medium, Madame Xanadu. Where She's after on the eyes too. Where after hours of meditation and a few too many Manhattans, we've finally contacted the spirit of the recently deceased Saudi king, Salman who has agreed to pose as forgotten Golden Age artist Morty Feldstein <laughs> to gain access to comic creator Valhalla. This is a complicated scenario. It's a scheme. It took us a while to come up with this one, but it's going to work. Where he'll be relaying our questions about next week's comics to some of our favorite deceased creators. It's a real Dead Ocean's Eleven kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's awesome. Matt, what comic... Will you ask the denizens of the comic book creator afterlife about? I was curious about King Colon Flash Gordon number one from Dynamite, written by Ben Acker with art by Lee Ferguson. I think it's Acker and Blacker. It is. King is actually the new imprint that they're putting all these Golden Age comics. It came from the King comics line under Dynamite. King so, features syndicate. It's the 100th anniversary. Yep, there you go. Here's your solicit. He's nothing but a man. Welcome to the king. Full of uncanny planets and enormous explosions and furious holograms and impossible bravery and galactic heists and savage gorillas and mysterious phlebotonium. Phlebotonium? Phlebotonium. And massive hangovers and... Gritting impossibility. Get pumped for astounding fun by Ben Acker and Ben Blacker. I'm going to pass out the thrilling adventure who work on the thrilling adventure hour and Lee Ferguson of G.I. Joe with a connecting King cover by comic legend Darwin Cook. Jesus, I lost weight during that one. Dave Dynamite has <laughs> been killing it with Flash Gordon. And we talked to Ben Acker not too long ago via Twitter. And he was so excited to be on this book. I can't wait to see what he's going to do with it. It's going to be a lot of fun. Joe Patrick, what are you asking about next week? I might be slightly exaggerating, but I don't think I've ever been more excited to read a comic book as I am excited to read the Multiversity Guidebook, number one, from DC Comics, <laughs> written by Grant Morrison with various artists. Here's your solicit. I will not be shouting because... My wife is napping. The guidebook to the greatest adventure in DC's history is here with a detailed concordance featuring each of the 52 worlds in the multiverse, a complete history of DC Comics' universe shattering crisis events, a map of all known existence, and an action packed dual adventure starring Commandy of Earth 51 alongside the post apocalyptic Atomic Knight Batman of Earth 17 and Chibi Batman of Earth 42. 
thank God there's a whole earth devoted to chibi versions of the characters. This, oh, absolutely, right? This 80-page mountain of multiversity madness cannot be missed. The Multiversity Guidebook contains everything you've ever wanted to know about DC's parallel worlds and their superheroic inhabitants. Meet the Agents of Wonder, the Light Brigade, the Super Americans, and the Love Syndicate. Hey, meet the Accelerated Man, Aqua Flash, Biomac, and more. Overflowing with today's top artists and completely written by Grant Morrison himself. Readers of the DC Universe can't afford to pass up this oversized sixth chapter of Multiversity. So they took Grant Morrison out to the parking lot and smashed his skull open on a parking block. And this is what came out. Yeah. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Wow. Uh, All right. One. I love handbooks. Two, I love multiple universes. I love them. And three, I love multiversity. I'm on board for this all the way. Yeah, multiversity is a ton of fun. The The THN Trade of the Week goes to The Life After, Volume 1. Trade paperback from Oni Press, written by Joshua Hale Fielkov, with art by Gabo. Here's your solicit. Jude's life is nothing special. It seems like every day is just a repeat of the last one, until one day he meets a woman and can suddenly see into her past, revealing that he is actually in purgatory for suicides. Now that he's awake, he and the legendary Ernest Hemingway are on the path to change things in the afterlife for better. Of course, that might not sit very well with the bigwigs down below or up above. Can just a few people change the course of billions of souls? This collects the first five issues of the ongoing series, a series that Joe and I both gave a huge buy-it for the first issue, fantastic art by Gabo and just a crazy story here from Joshua Hill Fielkov. This is going to be a fun read. Totally. I'm excited about it. After you've finished communing with the spirit world, let us know what you're excited to read next week over at the THN forums. Every damn month, Joe and I sit down, review an entire graphic novel for a little segment we like to call take a look. It's in a book. This month, Joe and I read Black Sad Amarillo, the fifth volume. I think you have to say it that way. You do, you do. The fifth volume from writer Juan Diaz Canales and Juanjo Guarandino. Their anthropomorphic detective story that follows John Black Sad, a hard-hitting, no-nonsense black cat in a trench coat. Joe, this is your first venture into the world of Black Sad. Why don't you set the story for the listeners? John Blacksad finds himself on the road across 1950s America, cruising in a golden Cadillac Eldorado west from New Orleans, while taking a much-needed break from the deadly dramas that dog his feline tail, or so he thinks, before long... Pun intended. Blacksad's hard luck catches up with him, landing him smack in the middle of another murder and in pursuit of a down-and-out beat-generation writer whose own luck might just have run out. That's from the back of the book. Nice. I think the first thing that drew me to Black Sad, and I've read all of them. I'm a big fan of this. The first thing that drew me to it was the fact that this is an anthropomorphic book that takes itself very, very seriously. Well, it's... It's certainly not childish. It's mature. But there's humor that's done in a very noir kind of way, like the same way that you would watch an old detective movie and you had like the wise guys characters or whatever, or like the drunky, drunky dude who's saying funny stuff and falling around. 
but they're all set as these animal characters. And Wanjo Guaranito, which I'm butchering his name. I owe you. Wanjo. I apologize. <laughs> we'll call. I'm just going to call him John Joe. John Joe is so amazing in this very classic Disney type animated feel in fleshing out this world. And up until now, all the other black sads have kind of been very dark settings, city settings, and they were still very detailed and beautiful to look at. But this book is a real departure. In this book, we get to see John on the road, basically out of his element. He's stepped away from the traditional crime noir of the big city. And he's agreed to drive a Cadillac to Amarillo, Texas, but he just can't stay out of trouble. And you could tell that they took a much brighter tone with this book. Most of the book takes place during the daylight hours. There's a lot more color involved in all the characters. And even the main character himself, John Blacksad, who's best known as this trench coat wearing cat. I don't think he's wearing a trench coat in a single page of this book. Well, he's wearing a suit. Yeah. I mean, he's just kind of walking around in a good looking suit and meeting bikers and meeting drunks and he bumps into a hyena lawyer, (laughs) which is another thing I should mention. One of the things they do with the the anthropomorphics in this book is characters like lawyers are portrayed as hyenas. Characters like cops are typically dogs. Characters, you know, like big, tough, loud characters are bears and Female characters are foxes and other cats and stuff. And it, it's very clever. And you can tell that he's thought out. The artist, John Joe, has thought out every aspect of this. Now, I could sit here and gush about Black Sad all day long. But Joe, this is your first experience with it. I'd really like to hear what you have to say about the book. I'm going to put this out there first. And I will say that I probably shouldn't have let it get to me. But since it was there... I read the introduction by Neil Adams, in which legendary comic writer and artist Neil Adams essentially states how he really loved Black Sad, but didn't think it was good enough. So he insisted that he be involved. And so in this volume, Neil Adams helped with the American translation. The whole time I read this book, I read it with the voice of Neil Adams at the back of my head as though he were saying, OK, now now have him say daddy-o. <laughs> right. Like, well, I I didn't I didn't take it as that. He definitely said that he was a fan of this art and he looked at the story and it blew him away. But the problem was it was in French or Spanish. There was no American translation. And then we got an American translation that was like a literal translation. And not all of that stuff, you know, when translating from Spanish to French works real well, like some of it has to be reworked and. To be Americanized a little bit just for dialogue. Sure. sure. No, and I don't I, think he was saying like it wasn't good enough until Neil Adams came along. Oh, you know? But the, the <laughs> thing is, though, is that there there were two American versions already that he had nothing to do with. And they are wonderful. The translation was redone again. There were earlier versions that were translated that were just way too literal. Like literally like when they you get Chinese instructions like with whatever product and there's this really, really bad American translation. Well, sure. I mean, we used to have have import toys at the shop that had hilarious Chinese paragraphs translated into English. I took it as him saying that I didn't I I didn't 
see it as snarky as you I'll, may have. I'll be the first one to admit that that was maybe my own bias and I projected it a little bit onto the book the first time I read through it. But I've been looking through it again and it really has it, it's taken a step kind of out. Like you said, it's kind of taken a step out of the Hollywood noir era and into the 50s like beat poet era. So it's natural that the dialogue be different or that the style of dialogue be different. The first thing that you notice when you open this book is obviously the amazing art, the amazing anthropomorphized animal characters and the way that they move and emote. I couldn't agree more. And, and I keep going back to this Disney reference, but it reminds me of that old school of animation where this was before CG and we, you know, the uncanny valley was being conquered or whatever, when artists just had to draw animals acting like people. Like if you think of like the Jungle Book, for example, I can't think of a more emotive group of anthropomorphized animals. Now here, they're much more human. He's not just drawing a bear walking and talking dressed up, you know, like right. they are very much human bodies. It's a cat that walks heads. and talks like a man. Right. And he has fists, you know, and right. he wears shoes, you know, like it's a dude. He just has a cat head, basically. Well, but was, taking that challenge to make these characters as human and emotive as they are, it's just amazing. Wanyo, John Joe. John Joe is a former Disney animator, so it's no yes. accident. And even if you look at the style of the lettering, that is done in an approximation of the Disney the Walt Disney logo typeface. Oh, absolutely. And I just think that that's really a fantastic touch. I love the story. I will say, you know, not to compare it too much to the other, the other books, uh, but this was probably my least favorite of them. Really? Because I love, I just love the detective, the dark noir detective stuff so much better. But okay. I think I was just kind of thrilled that they were opening it to the larger world. I thought oh, that, yeah. that no, I just don't, hooked me. I don't mean to say in any way that I didn't like it because I thought it was a phenomenal piece of work. And like you said, it's, it's really neat to see the character kind of get out of his own environment. And, uh, you know, he's at the carnival and he's, you know, out and out in the, uh, out on the open road and meeting all kinds of different characters. It's not just stuck in the same old, you know, seedy dark alleys and his grimy office. And yeah. so I totally I did appreciate that. I did really like the lawyer character, Neil Beto. He was fantastic. Like just a really good sort of a comedic foil, but at the same time, like still a very serious and in-depth character. And you have like a couple of very serious moments with him that like took you aback a little bit. Like, whoa, okay, I get it. <laughs> right. Know? Without spoiling too much, I really love the ending. Yeah. And how uh, the writer character's work kind of gets out in the world. Yeah. Uh, the way cool. the way in, in which that happens, maybe not in the way he'd hoped. It, he manages to pass it on even through even by accident. I thought that was a very poetic ending. Yeah. Once again, this creative team hits us with like a very complex story that's easy to follow. It's hard to tell sometimes who the good guys and the bad guys are. Because that's what these old detective noir stories were like. And it's just, it's pitch perfect. The setting is gorgeous. The art could not be better. It really couldn't. And it's, he, it's beautiful. It's gorgeous on yeah. every level. 
And John Joe does all of it. It's all him. The guy is a workhorse. It's just incredible. I, I, this is a huge buy it for me and it's going to look great next to my other black sad books on my shelf. If you haven't checked out black sad, do yourself a favor and you could pick up any of the volumes. You don't have to start with one, pick up any of them. They're all great. I don't know where I would rank this yet in with the other ones. Honestly, I hadn't even thought about that. And that's something I'm going to have to dwell on a little bit before I can tell you where it belongs. It's an absolute buy it for me, though. I, I really did enjoy it. And it's not like a a taxing read. You know, you can read it in in one sitting. It's it's I don't know. It's maybe 80 or 100 pages is all. Yeah, but it is definitely one of those books you will go back and look at again. It's just too beautiful. If for no other reason than than to see everything going on in the artwork. As always, there's a good chance that we're completely wrong about Black Sad. So tell us what you thought of this graphic novel over at the THN forums. Next month on Take a Look, It's in a Book, Matt and I are going to read Scott McCloud's latest graphic novel, The Sculptor, from First Second Books. Super excited for that one. I hear it's a real tearjerker. Oh boy. You and your feelings. Sort of of break it it down like this. And that is it for episode 194 of THN. If you like talking cats as much as we like talking cats, you can subscribe to this show on iTunes, Stitcher, or TuneIn, where we still need your star ratings, your reviews, your thumbs up, and your little hearts, because it helps us to connect with other potential listeners. Thank you to all of our donors, and if you want to keep us in football pumps and food for our talking animals, you can do so by clicking our cheating PayPal button at twoheadednerd.com. And if you want to become a sustaining member, it's as easy as clicking the Make This Donation Monthly box. And as little as a dollar a month really does help. If you're interested in sponsoring this housebroken podcast, shoot us an email with the subject line, Sponsorship. While you are there, you can find links to all of our contact info via Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, Skype, and the Ziggurat Hotline, 402-819-4894. Using all of these damn resources, you can beg the comic pushers for a new read. You can hit us with your Ask a Nerd questions or trivia and or defend your questionable nerd tastes in front of the two-headed judge for our Defenders segment or ask us to review your self-published comic, be it printed, digital, stained with animal urine, whatever. And don't forget to go sign up for the THN forums. This is your little virtual piece of the ziggurat where you can discuss this week's show, talk about your favorite pantsless ducks, or just rap about comics. Dudes, let me clarify. If you're going to do the Defenders, go to the forums first. Pitch your idea there. And I love this segment so much, I want more of you to do it. It's a good time. We want to tell you how wrong you are. Or right. You might be right. Do you think John Blacksad goes to the bathroom in a litter box or a toilet? No, he's a toilet. He's a dude. He just has a cat head. I don't know, man. No. It's a better question. Does he smoke weed or catnip? Does he have one of those barbed cat penises? Ugh, why would you bring that up? God. <laughs> Remember to follow us on Twitter, like our Facebook page, and watch the forums if you want to get in on the question of the week discussion. And then be sure to tune in to hear your answer on the Answer of the Week podcast. But if you need more THN in your life now, get over to TwoHeadedNerd.com and check out the Saturday Morning Cartoons article that Tony Mathers ditched his wife and kid to write. (laughs) Well, I mean, the baby's still new. It's not going to know. Come on. There's an all new Charlie Tron. We got book reports coming out of our asses. We've got Nerd TV. We've got ludicrous speed reviews. 
So much to read. It's ridiculous. Next week, we're paying a visit to Casey's Crazy Corner, where we get her all liquored up and let her share her completely uninformed point of view on a dark corner of the comics world. Before we go, our weekly shout-out goes to our very own Credible Hulk, the aforementioned Tony Mathers, and his wife Amy, as they celebrate the birth of their new son, Augustus. And let's be honest here. Tony didn't do anything. He just sat there while she did all the work. Seriously, Tony. Word to you, Mathers clan. We'll be upgrading you to a family-sized sex kennel this weekend. Until next time, true believers, remember to pre-order your comics because your retailer just might get pregnant and have a baby and name it after you for doing so. This is the Two-Headed Nerd signing off. Happens to me all the time. (laughs) You got customers coming in and knocking you up, huh? If I had a nickel.